of our Lord to seven of the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. And as you're turning there, let me just very briefly set the scene for you. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 15 to 19. And in particular, the Lord's conversation with Peter. But before we read the text, let me very briefly again just set the context. Following the resurrection of our Lord, the, we know that Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene and then to some other women as they returned from the tomb on the day of his resurrection. Later that same day, Jesus then appears to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then to ten of the disciples, remember Thomas wasn't with them for whatever reason, on the day of his resurrection. Later that same day, Jesus um, then appears to um, we, we read over in um, John chapter 20 that about eight days later, he then appears to them again, this time including Thomas. And it's important to understand that all of these appearances occur in Jerusalem. But in Matthew's gospel, we're told that Jesus instructs his disciples to go to Galilee, where he will specifically meet them on a mountain. And so we, what we discover then is that up to the end of John chapter 20, the scene is in Jerusalem, which takes us eight days post-resurrection. And as we move then into John 21, the setting changes from Jerusalem to Galilee, and specifically to the Sea of Tiberias, which is simply another name for the Sea of Galilee, where the disciples are supposed to be on a mountain waiting for Jesus to meet them. And so with that, by way of introduction, then let me read to you from John 21. And beginning at verse 1 over to verse 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the nets were not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pause and let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity and the privilege we have this morning to come around your word. And we ask that as we open our Bibles, that in turn you would also open our hearts to hear from you. That you would speak into each of our hearts and challenges about our walk with you and about our love towards you. And Lord, we pray that we would hear from you this morning. That this would not just be just another service and just another sermon. But this would be an occasion where each of us would hear from you. And that you would speak into our hearts and into our lives. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Coping with failure in the Christian life is often one of the greatest challenges we will face as believers. Where Satan will do everything he can to convince us that we have failed God once too often. That we finally cross the line beyond which there is no return. And it is perhaps possible that as we come to John chapter 21, that that is to some degree how the Apostle Peter felt. Things had started off so well, promisingly for him. Over the course of the three years that he had spent with Jesus, it was clear that he was the natural leader of the twelve and had great potential. He was the one, you remember, that had the courage to get out of the boat and to step out on and to walk onto the water. And whilst much is often said of the fact that when the wind started to pick up, he got afraid and he started to sink, he at least had the courage to get out of the boat in the first place. The only other person that has ever lived ever to have walked in water. What a claim to fame that could have been for him. He was the one who declared that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was the one of the privileged three to be present at the transfiguration of the Lord where he got to see a glimpse of his glory. Peter was the one, of course, who said that even if everyone else deserts the Lord, he never will. And in fact, when Jesus was arrested, he was the one who drew his sword, ready to fight and defend his master, when everyone else was ready to run in the opposite direction. After the arrest of Jesus, he was the only one to follow, to see what happened. But then as he sat among the crowd and tried to blend in with the people and the the groups that were there, people began to recognize him as one who perhaps had followed this man Jesus. And so in those moments of weakness, when the people began to inquire of him, did you know this man? Did you follow him? Were you not with him? He denied his Lord not just once, but three times. And the Bible tells us in Luke 22 that just as he was speaking, the cock crowed and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. I don't think that was a look of disgust and disappointment. I think that was a look of love 
Sarah Peter, I knew you were going to do this, but it didn't affect how much I love you and why I'm here. But the Bible says that Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him, and before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And we read that Peter left, and he went outside, away from the crowds, and he wept bitterly. Peter was devastated that he, of all people, had failed his Lord. Perhaps in Peter's mind, his failure had been too great and had disqualified him from useful ministry. And so it's been suggested then that Peter's return to fishing here in John 21 is an indication that he has turned his back on God's call upon his life, or at least he no longer felt up to the task. We see at the beginning of the chapter in verse 3 that he announces, I'm going fishing, and it's significant that in this statement in the original original Greek, it indicates a continual action. In other words, it's been suggested that Peter is not simply referring to going and spending the night fishing recreationally to have a bit of fun, but rather he's intending on returning to it as his livelihood. In other words, some believe that he's returning his back on Jesus and his call to be a fisher of men and an apostle. And perhaps it was the case that Peter felt that after all that had happened, after all that he had done, there was no way that he could go back and be with the twelve, with the eleven, and be an apostle and do everything that Jesus had called him to. Despite saying to Jesus that he would lay down his life for him and follow him no matter where he would lead, it could never undo the fact that when it came down to it, he had still denied him. And perhaps he felt that because of that he had blown any chance of being useful to Jesus and being involved in kingdom work. And so he goes back to what he knows. Now whether this statement of Peter's was meant to be an invitation to the other disciples is not clear. Either way, six of them come and join him and tell him we'll come with you. And so these seven guys head off to the Sea of Galilee where they spend the night fishing. And although the majority of these seven disciples were experienced fishermen and knew what they were doing, that night they caught nothing. You see, Peter may have felt, well I don't know how to be an apostle, but I at least know how to fish and so I'll go back to what I know. And yet here he finds that despite all of his years of experience, by divine command, the fish that night swam swam everywhere but into his nets. And in the morning as they're clearing up and they're getting ready to go home, a stranger on the shore calls out to them, do you have any fish? To which, of course, they reply no. And then that stranger urges them to cast their net on the right side of the boat and to their amazement, the catch of fish is so large they're unable to haul it on board. And I wonder whether as the night went on and despite their best efforts, still they caught nothing. nothing. I wonder whether Peter's mind went back to another occasion when he had fished all night and caught nothing. And then he met Jesus who told him to let down his nets again and the catch of fish was so great that the nets began to burst. And when John sees the catch this time, the penny drops for him. Because he was also there on that previous occasion years earlier. And he realizes that that stranger on the shore is the Lord. And in response, Peter jumps into the water and swims to the shore to meet him. And then these seven disciples, along with Jesus, have the most wonderful breakfast with him. And after they finish, Jesus then turns his attention specifically to Peter. Because there are some things that need to be put right in their relationship. And in verses 15 to 19, Jesus essentially comes to Peter and he challenges him about where his allegiance truly lies. 
Notice in verse 15 that Jesus comes to Peter and he asks him the most penetrating of questions. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It's important to notice here that Jesus calls Peter by the name that he was known by before Jesus met him. You remember it was Jesus who gave him the name Peter when he called him to leave all that he had and to follow him. But in addressing Peter in this way, Jesus is drawing attention to the fact that Peter appears to have gone back to an old way of life. And therefore he ought to be known by his own name. And Jesus then asks Peter a very penetrating question. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Who and what are the these that Jesus is referring to? Some suggest it's the other disciples. And Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples do? Remember, Peter had claimed that even if everyone else deserts him, he never will. And perhaps Jesus is asking Peter, is that still the case? Do you still love me more than these other guys claim? But taking account of the context in which these things are being said, I think Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me more than your old life? Do you love me more than these fishing boats and all that they represent for you? Jesus is asking Peter, am I the supreme love in your life? Everything else that you value, everything else that you love, do you love me more than these? Now to understand the significance of this conversation, it's important for us to see the play of words that occurs in the original text, which doesn't come across in our English translations. In verses 15 to 17, there's an interplay between two Greek words that are translated for us here as love. The first word is agapeo. And the word is used to describe the deepest kind of love. It means a supreme love. It's the strongest expression of love possible. It's the kind of love that the Bible says that God has for his son. When in Matthew 3, 17, we read that the the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It's the kind of love that the Bible says that God has for the world. Where in John 3.16 it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The second word that we find in these verses that's translated as love is phileo. And this word basically means to be fond of or to have affection for. And what is significant here is that Jesus comes to Peter and he asks him, Do you agapeo me? Do you supremely love me? And Peter responds with, I phileo you. I have affection for you. I'm fond of you. I like you a lot. Why does Peter respond this way? Why does he not respond by saying, of course I love you supremely? After all, that is what he claimed earlier in his life and ministry with Jesus. He was the guy, of course, who told Jesus that he was ready to go to prison and to die for him. He was the guy that said, even if everyone else deserts you, he never will. He was the guy that was ready to fight for Jesus. And when the soldiers came to arrest him, he drew his sword and he even cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. But now when Jesus comes to him and asks him, do you agapeo me? Do you supremely love me? The best that he can come up with is, I'm really fond of you. Why this change? I think there are three main reasons. Firstly, because of his denial. Peter's a broken man here. We saw earlier how he wept after his denial of Jesus. Peter's a big burly fisherman. These guys don't cry over nothing. And yet here he was, and when 
He realized that he had denied his Lord the way that Jesus said he would. He goes outside by himself and he weeps. And as we've said, many believe that was why he went back to fishing here in John 21. He thought he had blown it. Secondly, I think Peter responds in this way to Jesus' question because he, like the other disciples, were slow to believe in his resurrection. Over in Luke 24, we read that when Mary and the other women come and tell the disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead, the Bible tells us that these words seemed to them to be an idle tale and they did not believe them. Over in Mark 16, we read that when they heard that Jesus was alive and had been seen by Mary, they would not believe it. And after these things, Jesus appeared to them in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. And afterwards, when Jesus appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Peter, like the rest of the disciples, were slow to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, despite the numerous times Jesus had told them about all that he would suffer and all that he would have to go through. And thirdly, I think Peter responds in this way because here Jesus finds him back in his fishing boats, back fishing. After appearing to the disciples, Jesus told them to go to Galilee, to go to a mountain and to wait for them and he would appear to them. And yet instead of being on that mountain as Jesus instructed them to, he finds them out on the lake fishing. They had been disobedient. And you see, Jesus is asking Peter here, do you supremely love me? And I guess we have to admire Peter to some degree that he is honest enough to answer that he can't say that because he knows that his life isn't showing it and he knows that it's not backing it up. And so the best that he says is, I'm fond of you. Interestingly, in verse 16, Jesus comes and he asks Peter exactly the same question. He says to him, do you agapeo me? Do you supremely love me? And once again, Peter responds with, I phileo you. I have affection for you. I'm fond of you. But notice that Jesus then comes to Peter a third time in verse 17. And he asks him again, do you love me? But what is so significant is that this time Jesus no longer uses the word agapeo. He uses the word phileo. And you see, Jesus is homing in on Peter here. And he's asking him to consider, Peter, do you even have affection for me? You say that you phileo me. You say you like me a lot, but Peter, is your life even saying that? And that helps to explain why we're told in verse 17 that Peter is grieved because he asks him the third time, do you love me? Peter wasn't grieved simply because Jesus asked him three times, which of course would likely correspond to each of Peter's three denials. Peter's grieved because he realizes that he has failed the Lord in such a way that Jesus was even calling into question whether he even had affection for him. And so Jesus comes to him and says, Peter, do you phileo me? Never mind agapeo, do you phileo me? You see, Peter can't point to works in his life which testify to his devotion to Christ because he's acutely aware that he's fallen so far short. And so all he can do is simply appeal, as he had done in each of his responses to the Lord's omniscience, to the fact that Jesus knows everything. And he says to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
In other words, Peter appeals to the fact that as the Lord, Jesus knows everything, including what is going on in Peter's heart. And so what Peter is saying here is, I know that my life may not show it, but Lord, you know my heart. You know that while I failed you, you also know how much that grieves me. And you know how that I want more than anything to have my relationship with you restored. And if some of us were honest, we'd have to confess there are times that when the only reason that God knows that we love him is because he is able to see past our actions and see into our hearts. Can I ask you, do you love Jesus? Do you supremely love him above all else? Above everything else in this life? Jesus was calling Peter to leave his fishing boat behind and all that represented for him and is Jesus asking us to leave an old way of life behind? You know, it's significant that when Jesus first called Peter on that previous occasion where they had fished all night and they had caught nothing, that when Jesus sees the catch of fish, his response in Luke chapter 5 is to get on his knees and to ask Jesus to go away. He says, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Notice on that occasion, that was at a time when Jesus' ministry and popularity was growing rapidly, where the crowds were coming to him and saying to him, please don't leave us, please stay with us. And here's Peter. And he says to Jesus, will you please just go away and leave me alone? Why would he react in such a way? Because Peter felt so overwhelmed and so ashamed of his guilt that he never thought that forgiveness and mercy was an option. And yet the most wonderful thing about the gospel is that it's when we reach that point that as Jesus did with Peter on that occasion, he invited him to come and follow. It's when we're finally broken at that, that point where we say, there's no way that God will ever accept me that Jesus says to us, well, in actual fact, now you're actually ready to come. And so I invite you to come and follow me. Notice that with each of the responses that the Lord gave, he provides a wonderful insight into the ministry that Peter is going to have, where after each confession of love, Jesus commissions Peter to feed my lambs, to tend my sheep, and to feed my sheep. And if you were to go further on in the New Testament and read through First and Second Peter and the letters there that Peter wrote, you would discover just how Peter did those things. For example, in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, he writes there, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And we see wonderfully illustrated in those verses that Peter fed the lambs, that he tended the sheep and he fed the sheep under his care, that he loved the people under his care in the way that he opened the scriptures to them and taught them. And so following then these three questions of Jesus and Peter's heartfelt responses, in verse 18, Jesus gives Peter an insight into what is going to happen in the future. Where Jesus says to him, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. 
But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And upon first reading, you may wonder, this doesn't sound good. Jesus is telling Peter that one day he is going to be killed for his faith. But I think this was wonderful news for Peter. Because here Jesus indicates that Peter, whilst he may have failed Jesus in the past, and whilst he may be broken over his sin at this point in time, that he is going to go on and he's going to live such an effective life for Jesus and have such an impact for the gospel that he's going to have the privilege of being a martyr and give his life for Christ. You see, Peter had the opportunity previously of standing with Jesus, but instead he denied him. And here Jesus tells him that there will be another occasion and you will have the opportunity of standing with me or against me. And Peter, I can tell you on that occasion you're going to stand with me and it's going to cost you your life. And I think that was great news for Peter. Because he was so overwhelmed with the guilt and the fact that he had failed the Lord in such a way and how he must have regretted if only I'd said, yes, I followed him. And how he must have regretted those three denials. And here Jesus tells him, you'll have an occasion again. And you'll be invited and you'll be asked, do you follow that man, Jesus? And you'll respond, yes, I do. And you'll willingly give your life for me. It's not the case that from now on, Peter would never fail again. Because we see from the New Testament that he makes mistakes and still very much in need of the Lord's grace and forgiveness as we all are. But what we do see is that he's going to go on and live the kind of life that displays that he supremely loves Jesus. And is that not what we should all desire? That we live this life in such a way that it's clear for all to see who it is that we love and that Jesus is supreme in the most valuable and precious things to us. And history would go on and tell us that Jesus, that Peter did indeed go on to be martyred and in fact crucified for his faith. Where such was his love for Christ that he would refuse to be crucified in the same way, but instead would be crucified upside down, thus prolonging the agony. And after saying all of this, Jesus gives Peter a very simple and yet profound command. And he says, follow me. When all is said and done and That is what the Christian life is all about. It's following Jesus. Doing what he would have us do. Going where he would want us to go. And all for the purpose of making much of him and of making him known. And perhaps Peter went fishing that night because he felt totally unworthy to serve Jesus. And perhaps believed that he had disqualified himself from apostolic ministry because of his failures. But Jesus wasn't finished with Peter. But instead, he took the time to seek him out. Despite the fact that he should have been in a mountain somewhere, waiting for Jesus to appear, and he finds him on a lake, on a fishing boat. Jesus instead comes and he seeks him out in order to restore him. And the wonderful thing is that no matter how far you may have wandered this morning, Jesus has come here to to seek you out. And he wants to restore you. That it doesn't matter how far you've drifted, how far you've gone, how ashamed you feel and how much you feel that you could never possibly get back what you once had with him. 
this example and this really pertinent illustration of of Jesus and Peter ought to speak to you this morning and remind you that there's nowhere you can go that would take you out of reach of God's love. That there's nothing you could do that could disqualify you from receiving the forgiveness that he wants to give you. There may be things that you struggle with. There may be things that you need his help with. But the Lord Jesus invites you this morning to come and have breakfast with him around the table to examine yourself and to get things right and to understand afresh what these emblems represent and what they mean so that you and I can experience the forgiveness that he offers us. Peter's a wonderful example of how our God is a God of the second chance, third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance, however many chances we need. In fact, Peter was the one who asked Jesus, how many times have I to forgive my brother if he sins against me? And Jesus responds to him every time. And the wonderful thing is that when we come to Jesus in genuine repentance, he will forgive us. The most amazing thing is that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, when we come in repentance of our sin, he forgives us. And I want to say to you as we close that the Lord wants to restore you as he restored Peter. That he wants to take your life and use it for his glory to build his kingdom in this world. Peter was an ordinary fisherman that Jesus called and used in an extraordinary way. And if God can use a Peter, then he can use someone like you and someone like me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word to us this morning. Thank you for the the wonderful way in which, despite the fact that Peter had failed you in so many different ways, that you would go and you would seek him out in order to restore him. And Lord, I pray for any here this morning, and indeed probably all of us, have those occasions where we look back on our lives and we feel so ashamed over things we have done. But thank you so much, Lord, that that was the reason you came. And that you have come in order that we can be forgiven. In order that those things that we feel so ashamed of can be forgiven and forgotten. And that you can give us the forgiveness that we need. Lord, what a cost that sacrifice came that the only way that we could be forgiven was for you to give your life. And we're humbled by that. And we pray that you would help us ignite afresh in our hearts that supreme love for you. That as we sit here this morning, that we would be humbled by your love. And that we would love you supremely. Lord, would you take each one of us and use us for your glory. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.